welcome to Talking Health Tech. My name is Peter Birch, and this is a podcast of conversations with key players and influencers to promote innovation and collaboration for better healthcare enabled by technology. With me today is Ali Basiso, Managing Director of ISIMS, which stands for Innovative Clinical Information Management Systems. ISIMS creates technology to solve the problem of producing tailored information systems for clinical teams. Ali is a passionate health informatician who holds a bachelor's degree in health sciences and a master's in health informatics from the University of Sydney. Ali's expertise ranges across a number of areas with a main focus on clinical information systems, process redesign and user experience. Hey Ali, how are you going? I'm good, Peter. Thanks for having me on your show. Cool, man. Cool. We're um, going to be covering a few areas that are relevant to ISIMS as well as your passion of health informatics. So there's a lot for us to learn in our chat today. Let's get cracking. Let's do it. Alrighty, ISIMS, what is it? Who's it for and what problem does it solve? Oh, where do I start? I need to keep this sort of as interesting and specific as possible. <laughs> Look, ISIMS is really... Um, It's really an adventure we've been on for the last 10 years or so now, and it was really born out of the clinician's frustrations with health systems, usability, lack of flexibility, lack of workflow awareness of systems as well. So it is really targeted at clinical specialties. So any department within a hospital that has their own workflow, such as, you know, we'll be talking about cancer a lot. But, you know, each department has its own unique workflows. So it really solves four key problems, which is what we really did at an R&D level, really workflow. So allowing clinical teams to um, have really drive the design of their actual implementation. And it's not really about individualization. It's for the community of practice, which really leads to increased usability. I'm sure your audience know a lot about this topic already, the efficiency issues, frustration, clinicians working against tech rather than with because of the um, lack of usability, interoperability as well. So within the system itself being interoperable, which is talking about native interoperability, but also um, sort of interoperability to the wider sense to the enterprise. So connecting to EMRs, the classic clinicians not wanting to Fairly enough, obviously, not log into multiple systems. And yeah, basically, it's really directed at the clinicians to allow them to get to their day-to-day work, to really do what they do best, which is look after their patients and use the system to assist them, not to hinder them. Cool. And so what is it that you make or you sell? Is it a technology platform or is it consulting services or some other thing that people buy from you? At the end of the day, it is a system. It is a technology platform that's implemented. It's a web application. It's got quite a rich infrastructure behind it. So from a hospital point of view, we're talking about an infrastructure installation at the sort of server end of it. But at the user end, it's a web application, you know, native login and depending on what workflow they sit in, say, for example, as a cancer workflow, they log in and off they go finding their patient and going through the actual workflow process of, of managing their patient or finding information. So it is a clinical information system. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And who's using it on a day-to-day? Is it the, the clinicians in the hospitals or some other people in the hospital setting? Yeah, so it is, in a sense, it's the clinical specialty within a hospital. So our focus commercially has been oncology, but really all our customers are hospitals, either private or public. And the, the common theme is they would have a um, cancer services uh, department. So they could be doing one or two what we call cancer streams. So a stream is, for example, breast cancer or lung cancer, or they could be a full-blown cancer service, which does 
all your 10 or 11 main cancer streams and everyone in that department that's involved in the care for a particular cancer patient would have a need to log into ISIMS to retrieve really the what we call the, the cancer picture of the patient, which is what without a client refer to it as really the one-stop shop to really understand what's happening with mm. a patient and then continue to action what needs to be actioned with the cancer patient. Interesting. Okay. Understand. Alrighty. And so health informatics, that's very much your bag. Tell us tell us more about that as a profession and, and why that's all important. Oh, Peter. Oh, <laughs> you, you need to let me know if I get animated because I'm really passionate about this. <laughs> <laughs> Let's make it happen, man. Uh, it's a podcast. We've got no limit on time. All yours. The floor's yours. Health informatics. Sell it to me. Uh, look, I did my undergrad in health sciences and I originally specialized in anatomy and physiology as part of my health sciences degree. But in my final year of my health sciences, I decided to go a bit left field and uh, do a couple of units from the health informatics department. So what happened is I ended up straight after my bachelor's doing my master's degree in health informatics and really became passionate about the industry in that sense. And shortly after I became the uh, student ambassador for it as well, uh, started going to all these uni ex suppose really trying to get people and tell them let me tell you about health informatics let me show you the light <laughs> but the, the key thing about it is that i do believe our role is really still undervalued so it was really about creating that awareness of what health informaticians do I'll give you an example when i work with clients and sit with doctors who sometimes really treat us as counselors because they just vent about their frustrations and what they would like to see in systems and so on and then really the magic that happens in the middle is what we do in terms of problem solving you know translating things into workflow translating it to the programmers, the standards, all really the detailed stuff that the clinicians don't need to worry about. And it's not their role to worry about it. That's where we come in. We represent the glue that holds that digital health industry and the health industry to allow clinicians to do what they do best, which is really look after patients. And so you as a health informatician then would be, you're trying to connect what, what the clinician wants to get out of a patient engagement and then connect that through to how it can be delivered? Or like, what would be that? elevator pitch on what a health informatician does that might be a better question allows really the clinicians and by clinicians i'm not really talking about just surgeons or doctors anyone who's providing care to the patient or at least see health informatics is such a big industry but if i'm talking at the core bit of it when it comes to doctors using health systems i really believe that the industry is about allowing the technology to help them do what they need to do and not have them work against the technology Mm. So that's really, it's about allowing, living up to the potential of what digital health is meant to deliver, right? It's better efficiency, better patient outcomes, and better user experience for the clinician because there's so much literature out there about the cognitive load it really adds to a clinician to have to think about everything that they need to do with the patient, but then think about everything that they need to do with the system. We've really had, I think the light bulb moment was one of our earlier uh, pilots when a director of cancer services told us, he goes, what you've really allowed me to do is to use the IT to train my junior clinicians on process and not have to train my clinicians to use the system. And that to me was, you know, such a rewarding feedback to get because that's what it's really about. Yeah. Excellent. And you started talking about clinical user experience and workflow and putting it in the context of ISOMs. Is that an example of how having a better clinical experience and workflow can really benefit an end user? Or what, why would you say that clinical user experience and workflow is really important to get? And how do you do that at ISOMs? I'll, I'll give you an example. Let's say you've got 
two clinical departments, and let's even say that they're the exact same specialty, right? Let's say it's a mm. breast cancer department at hospital A and a breast cancer department at a hos- hospital B. 90% of the data they collect and they reuse is actually similar, if not identical. It's the same data, but the workflow and the process is different. So for example, they have what they call cancer multidisciplinary meetings. So some hospitals or some departments have it once a week, some have it once a fortnight. And it's really the detail of preparation, that life cycle of bringing the data together, sending out the data at the end of the meeting, what data needs to display at the meeting. The devil is in the detail, right? So when it comes to standards and when it comes to your hospital requirements and state requirements, that actually all remains stable. But how you go about collecting it and how you go about reusing the data, that's where the efficiency comes in. Mm. So it's the context of use that really makes a difference to the efficiency for a clinical user. So we try to strike the balance between keeping the structure at the enterprise level, but maximizing the flexibility at the front end at really that web application layer and and what the user needs to see on the screen and what they need to collect on the screen that allows the clinical teams to achieve that level of efficiency. Cool. Hey, focusing on cancer informatics, you've been in that game for a bit. What, what would you say you've learned as a company about this space? Oh, cancer informatics, cancer care in general, is it's really many worlds inside the one big world. So when you think about cancer, you might think of it as a single specialty, but it's an army of so many specialties that come together to fight this beast. Mm. So if you go to a cancer multidisciplinary meeting, and for the listeners who are not familiar with it, it's common practice that any cancer department or cancer service, they run a weekly to a fortnightly meeting for each cancer stream, such as breast cancer or lung cancer, because they go through all the patients and um, they have about 10 to 15 different roles, clinical roles that come together in the same room. In today's world, it's over Zoom sometimes, of course, because of the pandemic. But they discuss the patient from every angle, from surgical angle, medical oncology, which is chemo, radiation, pathology, radiology, nuclear medicine, allied health, nursing. Think of how many workflows and information sources are coming together in this one single point where the ultimate goal is to actually achieve the best possible outcome for the cancer patient. It's not about one person deciding or one specialty specialty deciding what's best for the patient. It's about all of these roles coming together and bringing all these workflows together and all this information that they've all generated in their own workflows to really arrive at what is the ultimate plan for this patient, what gives this patient the best chance of survival or even cure in this case. So there's, you can't look at it as just cancer. You've really got to look at all the behind the scenes workflows, all the different roles that come into uh, making cancer care what it is. Alrighty. Changing tracks a bit to being in the startup game. So ISIM's been around for a while. Uh, You joined in 2011 from memory. So you've you've been in the game for almost 10 years and and obviously well well before then. You've seen a lot of organizations, you've you've integrated with organizations and worked alongside them. And there's a lot of companies these days in in, in the health tech startup world in Australia. What advice would you give to companies that might be at the earlier stage of their evolution within the health tech industry in Australia? Oh, resilience, Peter, resilience. It's such a tough industry. You've got to really be in it for the long haul. You've got to be in it for the right reasons. Sure, look, we're not going to beat around the bush. We're a commercial business. We need to pay bills. We need to grow. But we all come personally, individually, that are employed by the company and that have started the company. 
we have a passion for healthcare, we have a passion for digital health. So it wasn't about earning a quick buck. And in fact, if anyone is thinking of creating a digital health solution for a quick buck, I'd say pack up before you even start. It's tough. Procurement is tough. You really have to answer a lot of questions at the start. You get a lot of no's. You get a lot of, oh, you're too high risk as a small business. You get asked a lot of small questions that the big companies don't get asked. You're sort of put in a bucket of being too high risk for a major organization to trial. And I'll really use this to this opportunity to give a shout out to the organizations that did take a chance on us, organizations um, that saw the value of what we do and decided to take that risk and allowed us to grow as a business. But Australia's procurement system is built around tenders and RFQs and a lot of administrative procurement processes that can really bury a, a, a small startup under. So I'd say go for the small wins, find the right clinical champions, find the right organizations that are going to take a chance on a new innovation and actually trial it and give it a fair go. Yeah. But you've got to do the right thing as well. You can't, you've can't. you got to have the right intentions and you've got to follow all the um, standards of safety and, and so on that are required in health. Yeah. And I'm going to guess that you'd recommend it. At least someone within the organization has an interest or a passion in health informatics as well, right? So if there was someone that was interested in health informatics, where would they start or how would they, if they wanted to get involved in that game, how do you go about getting involved in health informatics? Well, I was about to say back in my day, but really, I'm, I shouldn't. I'm not in an age bracket where I probably left to see back in my day. <laughs> but um, I think that offends like people on both sides when you or I say stuff like that. But yeah, no, that's cool. That's cool. <laughs> Look, I did my health informatics degree. I think I completed it in 2011, and unfortunately, my course is not around anymore. So I, I don't know that I have the perfect answer to this because when someone asks me and says, you know, if we want to do the degree you did, where do we go? And I say, well, you can't do it at University of Sydney anymore because it's not offered there but I know that a number of universities are starting not just starting like over the last few years they've designed health informatics courses they've designed even bachelors of say health sciences but with majors in digital health and so on but I'm a big fan of I should say now the Australian Institute of Digital Health which is previously Heiser. Mm. So they're another big resource in terms of tapping into and seeing what's happening because there is the um, programs like cheer and so on that people can do to get certified in health informatics, but also just the people that are involved with Heiser, you know, from um, Louise to a number of people on the committee and and, in the uh, state branch members and so on, who uh, a lot of them come from educational backgrounds as well. And they're a good resource to really go to and say, hey, what do I do? I want to upskill in health informatics, where to go from here. And Mm. yeah, I hope they can really continue to advocate for the industry because I know they're doing a lot of work in that space. Yeah, we had um, Louise back on the show uh, a while ago, back in 2019. So we'll have to put a link in the show notes for people to go check that out. But that was back when they were Heiser and not AIDH. So I do know they have some resources there to check out. We'll put some links to that. Yeah, I did listen to that interview with Louise, actually. I, um, I think one of my favorite things she said in that interview was, you know, she'd like to to see, I think you asked her a question about what would the ideal scenario look like? And she said, when we don't have to call it digital health anymore, it's just totally. health. I thought that was a really, yeah. really good sort of future pathway to look forward to. I hope we get to that stage. That, that's becoming a recurring theme at the moment. I've noticed too, a lot of people are talking around that in 2020, especially in the current climate, that digital health should just be health. I think we've got a while before we get there, but it's what we should be all aspiring to. I agree. Hey, look, rounding things out, Ali. Isoms, what's on the horizons for you guys? What's what's coming up in the next 6, 12, 24 months? 
Oh, it's been a long journey so far. And I can tell you the, uh, obviously the COVID pandemic has made things interesting for us, but we're really hoping to grow. So um, Professor John Patrick, who's the founder of the company or the co-founder, along with Mary Ellen Galbally, they've really put a lot of effort and provided a lot of guidance to our team to come up to the stage that we're at. And we're now as a team collaboratively and as I suppose the next generation that's trying to take the company to the next level, we're really focused on driving sort of bigger service solutions. So give you an example, our biggest client at the moment in terms of uh, size of operation is the Sydney Adventist Hospital because they were the first hospital that came and said, oh, we don't want to do just one department or two departments. We want you to do our whole cancer services. So we're past halfway in that project and our next six months is focusing on getting all the 10 departments up and running. We're up to our sixth now with nine integration points with so many different other systems and (laughs) including things like natural language processing from pathology and so on. And we really want to drive at that level because we're really starting to see the benefits at a macro level in terms of value of investment. And we want to take that to other organizations and, you know, really look at doing bigger service implementations. And at the end of the day, we can, it's all about delivering a service that is really useful for the clinicians and helps them deliver the ultimate care for cancer patients. That's really our focus. We are a commercial business, so we can't hide away from that, but we are passionate about the industry and we're passionate about our clients. Definitely. Hey, Ali, I'm going to put some details in the show notes of what you're doing and how people can check out ISOMS. And I I really appreciate your time today. And thank you so much. Thank you so much, Peter. And thank you again for having me on the show. Thanks for listening to Talking Health Tech. My name is Peter Birch. Make sure you go check out our website for all our resources, including this podcast and the largest directory of technology solutions available to Australian healthcare practitioners today. Until next time, I'm out of here.